This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. All religions have aspects of fasting and feasting. Perhaps the most well-known among them are Yom Kippur for the Jews and Ramadan for the Muslims. Is there any similarity between them? Festivals, fasts, and feasts is the first topic I explore with my two guests, Mohammed Nur Nordin and Rabbi Woodmond, as part of a new four-week series of interfaith enlightenment. If you have any questions, please send them to info at theacademy.org.za, and the two experts will respond to them in our last episode. Rabbi Woodmont is the Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and Mohammed Nur is a social commentator and risk analyst. Gentlemen, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. Thank you so much. So let's start with fast, because they tend to precede the feasts. Rabbi Woodmont, biblical references to fasting in the Jewish religion, are there a lot? Yes, there there are, and they they really resonate on main mainly three different levels. The first level is, I think, a question about communal solidarity. Uh, fasts are often spoken about as a time and a way to bring people together um, when there's a common when there's a common ill and a common fear, a common threat, and uh, and fasts are used as a way for people to give up and hold back on normal life. And I think that's the first idea, that a fast is a cessation of what is most common and important to survival. That's obviously just consuming food to stay alive. And when in the Torah people stop eating, there's a sense that they're saying, listen, you can't carry on. We can't carry on with normal life. We have to reflect on what's going around, and we have to join together with other people in exactly that space. And obviously on a, on a simple level, you know, you're no longer competing for food, for money, and instead joining together with solidarity to say that there's some things that are more important than that. And as the Bible famously says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And, and that is, I think, the first way that, that, uh, fasts are presented. That it's a mo- it's a way to step back from normal life, from competition, from survival, from the rat race, and to focus on the deeper things, particularly in a time of, of trouble, and using that time of trouble as a way to to focus ourselves uh, on the second element, which is not just solidarity, but also on repentance and return, and uh, reflecting on whether or not we have been uh, consumed by the rat race, consumed by running after physical desires as opposed to pursuing morality, as opposed to pursuing what is moral and ethical in life. And that's the second element of fasting, that it's, uh, that it's generally tied to a, a, a time for self-reflection, a time for repentance, a time for return. Um, and I think the third element is, uh, is, is, and it has to be said very, very clearly that Judaism doesn't have much of an ascetic, uh, of an ascetic tradition. We, we don't self-flagellate, we don't harm ourselves. And we generally have a balance between engaging in the physical world in a way that brings joy and pleasure, but on the other hand, uplifting that enjoyment. So fasting is is something that is not done lightly, uh, particularly because there's always a, a hesitation that it may give the the message that one should withdraw from the world. And that's really not the main message. The, the main message is always going to be, well, what are you going to do on the day afterwards? Um, and it's not a repudiation of pleasure and joy of this world, 
but really a, a, a way in the first two modes to really stop and reflect, join with other people, care about other people, think about other people who, don't, who do not have, uh, join with them in facing common threats and common trouble and uh, common spiritual problems. And then the day afterwards, you know, reflecting on, well, you know, I'm going to go back into the swing of things. How am I going to do that differently? How am I going to do that more meaningfully? How am I going to do that in a way which uh, which changes who I am? In this sense, it's almost like people do these detoxes. You know, they go to a health farm and they detox for a while. But the question then is afterwards, you know, what do you what do you take from the detox the detox back into your regular life? And that is a major focus of the whole fast. That it's not just about not eating, but it's got to be about forward-looking, future-looking changes in one's life. Mohammed Nur, when we come out of our fast, which are 24 to 25 hours, we kind of think, sure, at least we only do it for a day at a time, a certain period. We don't do it for a full month like you do at Ramadan. Can you tell us a little bit about fasting in um, the Islamic faith? Thank you so much for the opportunity. I think whatever the rabbi has said, uh, almost totally, I won't say almost totally, it totally concurs with the elements of fast in Islam. And therefore, the Quran says, you know, oh, you believe fasting has been prescribed upon you as it was prescribed on those before you. So we acknowledge the tradition of fast existing in the other Abrahamic faiths. And at the end of that verse, the Quran says very clearly, you know, that you may attain piety. So with the, in Islam, there's a very, very direct relation between fasting, self-restraint, and piety, godliness, getting close to God, getting close to the Creator. And at a very technical level, you know, the month of Ramadan, the prescribed fasting, it's a, it's a pillar of Islam. So it's it's not quote unquote a cultural tradition, or, or so forth. It, it's a very it's it's a fundamental part of Islam. Five pillars of Islam. One of them is fasting the month of Ramadan. Uh, technically, our fast is about depending where you are in the world. It could be anything from ten hours to eighteen hours, from sunrise to sunset, etc. Uh, you know, one of the interesting ideas behind fasting also is the issue of, of, of uh, the, you know, attain, attaining piety, closeness to God. Because what you're doing in, in the fast, in, in, in uh, uh, the way which we look at it is, you know, God has made permissible for you to consume, to, uh, to consume foods, to drink water, etc. But you are actually abstaining from what God has made permissible for you for the pleasure of God. Uh, and, there, and there are some Islamic traditions, sayings of the Prophet, where, the, where, where you know, where he speaks on behalf of God, and he says, you know, fasting is for me alone, meaning me, God, and there I alone know the reward of fasting. Because, for example, charity, you know, uh, there's a so, someone benefits from that. When you pray, you know, people can see you praying. There's a communal part of you praying, going to the mosque, etc. But if you fast, you know, no one knows whether you're sitting in your house and eating or drinking, etc. So it's 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 the ultimate in self-discipline. Uh, and, and, and from, and, and as Muslim tradition goes, I think most, almost all Muslims around the world, from the age of seven, eight, sometimes even six, you know, children are encouraged to fast and, and we start fasting from a very young age. And, and it's, it's part of who we are. And, uh, and, and, and you get used to it. You know, you, you get used to it. Uh, you, you enjoy it. It comes with its challenges. Uh, but the objective of fasting really is, 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 is piety. So the pillar of Islam, one pillar of Islam is, is a compulsory fast of the month of Ramadan, which is 29 or 30 lunar days. And then there's other fasts which are voluntary, which occur during other parts um, of the year. But, you know, again, you know, fast the objective is piety. It is closeness to God. Uh, it, it, it is, it is, you know, to humble yourself. It is to reflect, to contemplate. Uh, that is really what, what, what the spirit of fasting is all about in Islam.
I have to take a break now, but when we come back, um, I'd like to ask you both a little bit about the altered state that um, you, you come out of a past from, but that's after the break. This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. I am talking to Rabbi Ramon Woodmont, who is the Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and to Nur-Nudin, who is a political analyst and risk analyst. And we are talking about fasts, feasts, and festivals. Um, both of you spoke to the fact that a fast is supposed to change afterwards. And Mohammed Nur, a friend of mine who, after the uh, end of Ramadan, mentioned that uh, the, the way she viewed the world was very, very different after a month of fasting. Her her vision was more heightened. And um, Rabbi, um, Rabbi Ramon also spoke about the fact that what do you do with it afterwards? A lot of that afterwards actually also includes eating. Um, perhaps, Mohammed Nur, you want to go first, yeah? You know, interesting, you know, uh, uh, Rabbi mentioned earlier about, you know, when you come out of the fast, the reflection and the contemplation and so forth. Uh, you know, and, and in Islam, interestingly, you know, when you end the 30 days of fasting, which is would be the last evening, then from that moment, you start in the specific prayers, you know, which is, so you continue until the next morning in very specific prayers, you know, uh, mentioning Allah's name, you know, uh, reciting certain prayers, praising him. So when you finish the fast, and you know, even before you get to the next day of feast, the fast ends again with worship and praying to God, you know, and in glorifying God. And in, and in the three days or the days of Eid, as we call it, that would be the feast, you know, technically, you know, a lot, most of it, all of it, again, you know, is, 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 is just worship and worship and worship and more worship. So the idea really of fasting is actually a stepping stone to a higher level of God consciousness, a higher level of, of closeness to God, a, a, a higher level of, 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 of awareness. But interestingly enough, uh, you know, on the day of Eid, which is the day immediately after Ramadan, there is the one day when you are not allowed to fast. So in Islam, there's Ramadan and then there's voluntary fast. You can fast any day as an act of worship, except that one day, which is the day after Ramadan, which would be the first day of the next month. There is the one day when it is not permissible to fast because on that day, it is an obligatory feast. It is an obligatory day of 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 engaging in eating wholesomely, eating and and drinking what God has provided. And of course, around different parts of the world, there are different customs. You know, because I mean, the Muslim world spans, you know, from 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 the Atlantic up into Asia. So, uh, what over 1,400 years cultures, as far as dress, as the types of food, as the types you know of traditions, have intertwined into the feast, but Traditionally, what happens is, you know, on the morning of Eid, there's a very specific prayer, which you go to the mosque and, and, and you perform and you engage that prayer. And it's also recommended that you eat before that prayer to signify and the symbol that you are no longer fasting. So the feast, it's mandatory. Interesting. It's mandatory to feast. It's mandatory to eat that morning to symbolize that you've completed 30 days of fast. And from there, uh, uh, festivities, you know, uh, start. And like in most traditions, you know, it is family-orientated, it is social-orientated, and so forth. Uh, Rabbi Ramon? We have a different way of processing it. Interestingly, um, after our major feasts, we, we often have a fast following it. So, for example, after Rosh Hashanah, uh, we have a, a fast after that. Um, and uh, prior to our central fast, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, so there is a commandment to eat the day before. 
generally, I, I think in, in Judaism, the focus, the meal afterwards, there's one meal after the fast called breaking of the fast. And that, of course, is most centrally after the major fast of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It's, it's definitely a tradition. It's not, uh, it doesn't have anywhere near the status of law of the fasting itself. And, and that has really turned more into a focus for family get-togethers. Um, a time, especially because the Day of Atonement is so focused on securing atonement from other people for things that we've done wrong to them and from God as well. But you know, definitely in families when uh, one has uh, minor tiffs and disagreements and sometimes major disagreements, I think the, the breaking of the fast particularly is a time after spending a day immersed in prayer and reevaluating how we've behaved in our relationships to get together as a family. Often sometimes family get-togethers are difficult, but I think this, this, that's what this has really become focused on for us. And interesting, just hearing what Muhammad said about the age of, of fasting, of course, we, we start a lot later. Um, we won't start encouraging our kids to fast until they're one year prior to coming of age, which for, for women is uh, women come of age at 12. So from 11 onwards, we encourage the kids to fast maybe a bit before. And for the boys, they come of age at 13. So we'll, uh, we'll encourage them a, uh, a year before then. Nevertheless, they, they, they always eat at the, at the feasts. Uh, but most of our feasts are really disconnected from, from fast days. Um, there's only really one which uh, has an intertwined uh, uh, connection, which is the day of atonement. But mostly we feast. Uh, mostly we're, uh, we're not, we're not doing the fasting. Most of the Jewish festivals are, are feast only. Um, we definitely don't have a, a month of fasting. But the, the, the foods that are consumed around these, as Muhammad said, are really culturally determined. Those Jews who hail from, you know, places after the, after Jews were exiled from, after the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans, they were exiled to all over Europe um, and North Africa and other places, and different cultures developed. So Jews who were exiled to European, cold European countries, uh, Poland, Lithuania, they they have certain traditional foods that are uh, completely unpalatable to Jews who were exiled to the warmer North African and Middle Eastern climes, and they have uh, foods which are far spicier and different types in different places, and that's what are consumed. And again, like Muhammad said, different communities have very specific foods that they eat uh, before, during, and after the fasts. Uh, the, before the, the day of Yom Kippur, uh, Jews from Lithuania and Poland have a tradition of eating a very, very, very sweet cake called lekach, so that there's a sweet new year that they're granted. Um, and Sephardic Jews from Spanish countries uh, who were exiled from Spain in 1492 uh, onwards, they have a, a host of incredible dishes, incredible dishes that uh, they eat at different at different times, which are which are incomparable. They're unbelievable. Muhammad Nur, of course, the Islamic faith also stretches over last vast geographical areas. Um, in terms of types of food and uh, cultural influence. So first of all, you know, interesting enough in in Ramadan, you know, breaking your fast in itself every day of the thirty days is is a mini feast. Uh, because there are also very stringent rules on that you have to break your fast and it's encouraged to break your fast. So Muslims around the world, uh, most, all of them will follow the tradition of breaking your fast with dates and with water. And you can say that's almost, that's, that's something that you'll find a staple on, on most Muslim uh, homes around the world. If you're in the Middle East, there'll probably be much more dates because of the varieties and so forth. If you go further away from the Middle East, people might 
they, they will consume the dates, but maybe not in such in such quantities. Secondly, uh, Ramadan is also a time in uh, when there's a lot of sweet sweet stuff, you know. Uh, and again, it, it 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 just depends, you know. I mean, uh, if in 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 the Middle East, you know, your your, your baklavas, your uh, in Asia, your samosas, and so forth. But I also think, you know, because of uh, Muslims in the diaspora are quite interesting, and I mean, most Muslims today exist out of the Middle East. Uh, so uh, you, you you find many different local traditions. So I mean, if in, in South Africa specific, you know, you'd have mostly if you're in Gauteng and, and in Kaiser, you'd have mostly Indian cuisine because most of our, our, our Muslims in these parts of the world are from India, Indian descent from the subcontinent. If you're in Cape Town, uh, you'd have more of 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 the of Malay inclined flavored cuisine. So you know, it's again interesting, you know, how uh, the rabbi mentioned how migrations move people around and how some traditions and some cuisines have traveled with people and with nations. And I think Ramadan and Eid after it is an interesting time uh, when 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 you when you when you see that occurring. You know, the other aspect of fasting and feasting that is well, the entire religions, I think, are go to a different calendar. And I wonder if you want to explore between the two of you the different the Islamic versus the Jewish calendar. Um, Muhammad, would you like to go first on this one? Sure. I mean, the Muslim calendar, it's a lunar calendar, and we have 12 months, and our months are 29 or 30 days. And uh, it's, it's very technical in the sense that uh, in different parts of the world, and so in Muslim countries, they have they have official government organizations that set and, 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 and calculate the months at the end of every month. So there are people who physically sight the moon and say it was 29 days, it was 30 days, and this is and 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 and, and they and they have a flexible schedule which they correct for worship purposes. Places like Saudi Arabia and, and most of the, the, the Arab world, you have a set calendar, right? And that then has which which runs admin. But then the calendar which regulates fasting, it it might coincide or it might be before uh, de- delayed or preempt the official calendar by a day uh, because of the sighting. Uh, the month of Ramadan is the first of the ninth month, ninth month. And the first of Eid would be, and Eid is the first of the tenth month. So that's also a tradition, you know, where people who are experts in the field of sighting the moon and, and, and knowing, you know, the, where you would sight the moon at this, in, in, at this time of the year, in this type of weather, etc. And that's also a very big tradition in many parts of the world, the, 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 sight, the sighting of the moon. So again, 12 months, 29 days or 30 days, and we sight it every month, and we adjust it accordingly. Reverend system that Muhammad uh, Nuri is describing is uh, is uh, very much a biblical system, and it was it's it's half of the Jewish system. So in the in the Jewish system, we we have a fundamentally lunar calendar as well, which was originally based on on eyewitness sightings of the moon, either 29 or 30 days long for every month, 12 months as well. But uh, additionally. Jews are required to have certain festivals in particular seasons, which means that the lunar calendar has to be calibrated with the solar calendar as well. So, for example, the, the festival of Passover, which is the festival celebrating uh, Exodus from Egypt as from slavery, uh, that originally happened in the spring months. And the Torah joins us to ensure that every year, when we celebrate Passover, it's still in the spring months in uh, in Israel, meaning spring months in the northern hemisphere. So that means that if one were to use a purely lunar calendar, which only has 354 days, 
then one would lose 11 days a year when compared to the solar calendar. So after three years, one would be 33 days out. And after nine or, t- nine or 10 years, it would shift completely. And that, that month would no longer fall in spring. So for that reason, the Torah requires us that we calibrate it, recalibrate our lunar calendar with the solar, the solar seasons. And we do that by adding in a lunar leap a leap month. So every couple of years, uh, and it's, uh, it's not set, but every couple of years, usually around every three, three, every three, two and a half years, on average, we add in an entire extra month. And that month enables us to mm-hmm. push back the, push back the, the time gained in order to keep our months in the same seasons. So our calendar originally was a combination of the of the the calendar that Muhammad uh, described, along with this extra leap month, and that was done in the way that Muhammad described it by eyewitness sightings and uh, and experts in in astronomy. And uh, probably around two thousand or so years ago, a little bit longer, we changed we changed that system, um, and instead of using a a, a system which purely relies on eyewitness sightings, we changed to a, a system which moved away from the eyewitnesses and used astronomical calculations. So today we no longer use eyewitnesses. We use, uh, we use astronomical sighting, these astronomical calculations to calculate the lengths of the months as 29 and 30. And we, um, we use those astronomical calculations in order to work out when we do our leap month. And, uh, and therefore we arrive today at a hybrid system, which is both lunar, part solar and, and, uh, worked out astronomically. I think I've got time for one very quick question and, um, it's about the, the Sabbath. Um, the Jews celebrate Sabbath. Do the Muslims have an equivalent? No, we have Friday prayers, which is considered the, 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 the crown of the week or the most important day of the week. And also it's a day of prayer, a day of contemplation. But I don't think we have as stringent religious observances as, 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 as Jews have. Uh, it is just we have a huge communal prayer on Friday afternoon. And then there's, uh, uh, then there's just, you know, more engaging in prayer and, and salutations to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and so forth. But I don't think it is as stringent as the Sabbath is. Well, gentlemen, there's obviously so much more we could talk about. Um, next week we are focusing on dress in the Islamic and Judaic faith. And I'm talking here shaitals and hijabs and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you so much for joining me. That was Rabbi Rahman Woodmont, Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and Muhammad Nur Nadin, a social commentator and risk analyst. If you have any questions for either Muhammad Nur and Rabbi Wadmond, please send them to info at theacademy.org.za. I look forward to redressing this topic again next week.